Now we turn our attention once again to the text of Scripture that Pastor Drew has been looking at with us the past two weeks and once again this Lord's Day, Galatians chapter 5. So if you have a copy of God's Word or you find one in the pew rack in front of you, let me invite you to turn in our Father's Word as we open our hearts and minds to what the Spirit wants to say to us once again through this portion of the Apostle Paul's letter to the Galatian Christians, Galatians chapter 5. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith, we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. Brothers, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there's no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, 
provoking and envying each other. Well, good morning uh, once again to you, Christ Community Church. We are, as Pastor Ken mentioned, wrapping up today our uh, kind of mini-sermon series uh, entitled Freedom in Christ. We've been now for three weeks in uh, Galatians chapter 5. So we just took a, a brief break from our Romans series, which we were entitling New Life in Christ to talk about freedom in Christ. And... Uh, Two weeks ago, two Sundays ago, we looked at verses 1 through 12. Last week, we looked at verses 13 to 15 of Galatians 5. And today, we're going to focus on verses 16 through 24. Now, I did ask Pastor Ken to read the entire chapter, including verses 25 and 26. But we're actually not going to focus too much on verses 25 and 26. And the reason being is because verses 25 and 26 of Galatians chapter 5 really function as a transition into a new topic that Paul is going to get into beginning with verse 1 of chapter 6. So verses 25 and 26, they, they rephrase material that just came before, and it, and it serves as a transition into what follows starting verse 1 of chapter 6. So we're not going to deal with verses 25 and 26 in detail this morning, and if you have like the ESV translation of the Bible or even the NASB, you'll notice that what they do with verse 25 and 26, they kind of just put it off by itself under the same heading, but it's not attached to verse 24, and that's for this reason. Um, and so that's why we won't touch uh, too much on verses 25 and 26 this morning. But uh, before we do take a closer look at 16 through 24, let's just take a moment and let's bow and ask God for his help. Father, we want to pause as we do these Sunday mornings where we gather as your people to read your word and to study your word and to respond to it as we ought. We recognize this morning that we are in need of your spirit to enlighten us to the truth in your word, to cause us to respond as we ought to, to your word. And so, spirit, third person of the Trinity who indwells all believers, we pray that you would so work in our hearts this morning to make us the people that you desire us to be. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned last week, we looked at verses 13 to 15 of Galatians chapter 5, and what we saw was that the life of freedom, this life of the gospel for which we've been set free and to which we've been called, this life of freedom, Paul says in verses 13 to 15, ought to result in a life of serving one another in love. That's its design. That's the purpose of this life of freedom. It was designed that you and I, as God's people, ought to live our lives devoted and committed to loving one another as ourselves. That's the purpose. That's the design for this life of freedom. But if we're honest with ourselves, we recognize that that's an extremely difficult way to live life. That's a radical way to live life. For us to be as committed to the well-being, to the happiness, to the interests of other people as I am toward my own, that's an extremely radical and difficult way to live life. It just is. 
And if we're totally honest with ourselves, we recognize that we don't always live life this way. We don't live life constantly devoted to pursuing the interests of other people the way that we pursue our own interests. We just don't live life that way. Nor do we always want to live life that way. But the Apostle Paul, he knows this. He knows this about us. He knows that this is a radical way to live life. And he knows that if we're left to our own devices, we'll just do the very thing that he says not to do in verse 13, which is to indulge the flesh, to indulge the sinful nature. He knows that if we're left to our own devices, we will just live life in such a way that we disregard the needs of others and we will pursue this life as if it were all about me, myself, and I. He knows that if we're left to our own devices, this is what we'll do. We'll indulge the flesh. We'll indulge the sinful nature. So the question for us this morning is this. How do we overcome those selfish desires? How do we overcome this way of life? How do we overcome that tendency to want to indulge the flesh, to want to indulge the sinful nature, and to make life about us? How do we overcome that? Well, in verses 16 to 24 of our text today in Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul says that there's only one way that we can overcome the flesh. Only one way that we can live life the way God says to live it. And he says that's by learning to walk by the Spirit. Look at verse 16. The Apostle Paul says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Paul says there's only one way that you have any hope of overcoming the flesh and its desires to live for self, and that's by learning to walk by the Spirit. That's the only way that we will overcome the flesh and live life the way God wants us to live it, by walking by the Spirit. Now, depending on your translation of the Bible, verse 16 will either say to walk by the Spirit or it will say to live by the Spirit. Both words really mean the same thing. They both get at the same meaning. To walk by the Spirit or to live by the Spirit is really to live our lives in such a way that our entire lives come to be characterized by the life of the Spirit. That's what he means when he says walk by the Spirit or live by the Spirit. That our lives would come to be characterized by the Spirit of God. It, it describes a way of life. It describes a way of being. It describes uh, how we interact in this world. And the Apostle Paul says that this way of life, this walking by the Spirit, it's the only way that you and I will overcome the flesh and its desire to live for ourselves. That's the only way. But what exactly does that mean? Really? What does it mean to walk or to live by the Spirit? What does it mean to live a life characterized by the life of the Spirit? What exactly does that mean? Well, there are a couple places in the text itself that give us some clues as to exactly what it means to walk by the Spirit. And the first place I want you to look is verse 18. Notice verse 18. And notice the same phraseology that Paul uses here. He says, but if you are led by the Spirit, 
you are not under the law. Part of what it means here, according to verse 18, to walk by the Spirit, or to have our lives characterized by the life of the Spirit, is to be a person who's led by the Spirit. If we want to know in part what it means to walk by the Spirit, it means being a person who's led by the Spirit. Now this phrase, to be led by the Spirit, it doesn't mean what we sometimes think it means. Sometimes when we use the phrase to be led by the Spirit, what we mean is the Spirit's leading or prompting us to do something very specific in life, like to take a specific action or to make a a certain decision in life, like uh, who, who we should marry in life or what school we should go to or what job we should take or what major we should study in college. Sometimes when we talk about being led by the Spirit, we think that that's what it means, that the Spirit ought to prompt us or lead us to make a specific decision in life. And while that might be true, that's not primarily what Paul means here in verse 18. When he says that we're to be people who are led by the Spirit, he means that our entire lives, every aspect of who you are, not just just one aspect or not just one moment of your life, but all aspects of our lives ought to be lived in such a way that we are under the influence, under the control and the direction of the Spirit. To the point that the Spirit of God, that His will and His desires and His power become the very source of our own. That's what Paul means by being led by the Spirit. That our entire lives, everything about us is led by the Spirit. It's under the influence and the control of the Spirit. One scholar reflecting on this phrase in verse 18, he says, being led by the Spirit is the difference between being led by a pace car in the Daytona 500 and being led by a train locomotive. He says, we're not led by the Spirit the way NASCAR drivers are led by a pace car around the track during the Daytona 500. We're led by the Spirit the way that a train gets led by a train engine, by getting hooked up to that power source and being dragged along under its power. That's how we're led by the Spirit. Or if that metaphor doesn't quite work for you and you're more of the animal lover type, we're not led by the Spirit the way that a mother duck leads her ducklings across the road. I know it's cute, but that's not how we're led by the Spirit. We're led by the Spirit the way that a lioness leads her cubs, by grabbing them behind the neck and taking them where they need to go, by being led by its power, the power of the mother. So part of what it means to walk by the Spirit or to have our lives characterized by the life of the Spirit is to be a person who's led by the Spirit, to be a person whose life is under the influence and the control and the direction of the Spirit. That's part of what it means. And notice in verse 18 the result of living this way. He says, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. You see, Paul is saying that when we are led by the Spirit, when we're led along by the influence and the control of the Spirit, we do the very things that the law itself requires us to do. It works in us the very things that the law says ought to be evident in our lives. In that life, it fulfills the law. 
which brings us back to last week. He says that in verse 14, that that life of freedom fulfills the law. It does what the law never could, which, which is produce in us love for neighbor. Well, the other place I want you to look within this text of what it means to walk by the Spirit or to live by the Spirit is verse 22. Paul says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And so we see here in verse 22, part of what it means to be a person who's walking by the Spirit is to be a person who's bearing the fruit of the Spirit. That's part of what it means, that our lives give evidence to these spiritual qualities in our lives. This is part of what it means to walk by the Spirit, to be a person who's bearing the fruit of the Spirit. And notice exactly what Paul says here. He refers to these spiritual qualities in verse 22 as the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. You see, Paul is trying to make it abundantly clear to us that though these qualities, he expects to see these in our lives, they're not our fruit. They're the Spirit's fruit. We don't actually produce these fruit in our lives, these spiritual qualities. The Spirit does. He brings these about in our lives. In fact, notice in verse 22, Paul doesn't even command us to bear these qualities. He expects to see them, and without question, you can find in the New Testament Paul commanding us to, to, to live out some of these qualities. So there are commands elsewhere, but here in verse 22, he does not command us to bear these spiritual qualities. The only command in verses 16 through 24 is the command to walk or to live by the Spirit. That's what we're commanded to do. And the result, the promise is that if we will do that, the Spirit will produce these fruit in our lives. Well, the other thing that I want you to notice about the fruit of the Spirit is the context in which they appear to us. The context in which Paul lists these fruit. Remember from last week, verses 13 and verse 15, and you heard it, Again, this morning in verse 26, we know from the context of Galatians chapter 5 that there was some significant infighting among the Galatian believers. They were at each other's throats. Verse 15, he warns them, if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will destroy each other. There was fighting, tension amongst the Galatian believers, and it's within that context that Paul says, these fruit, these are the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, this is Paul's way of saying that in the, in the church of God, amongst God's people, especially when there's tension in the church, this is what God's people ought to look like. This is the kind of fruit that will come out on their lives and be evident when they're walking by the Spirit. There'll be people who are patient with one another. They'll be gentle with one another. They'll be kind and loving, self-controlled. That's the context in which Paul wants to see these fruit pop out on the branches of our lives. 
You know, what Paul is doing here uh, by bringing out the fruit of the Spirit within that context, the context of Galatian infighting, it reminds me of what I heard a parent say the other day. They said that they used to be patient before having kids. And full confession, I get it. I totally get it, and we all get it. And that's exactly Paul's point. Paul's saying, look, it's easy to be patient. It's easy to be gentle, full of joy and loving and self-controlled. When you're by yourself and no one's around to bother you or to annoy you, it's a lot harder to be patient and gentle and self-controlled when, let's just be honest, when there are people around us who can just annoy us. When they're, when they're like me. When they're like us. But that's the very context that Paul says, if you're walking by the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit will come out. This is what it will look like to be a person walking by the Spirit. And notice, again, the result of this kind of life. Look at what he says in verse 23. He says, against such things... So, by the way, he's not saying the qualities that I just mentioned, that's all there is to say about the fruit of the Spirit. He could have listed more. But he says, against such things, there is no law. He's saying, look, when we walk by the Spirit, the Spirit of God will work to produce, to bring out these very qualities in our lives, and these are the qualities that the law itself requires. And against such spiritual qualities, Paul says, there's no law to condemn us. We do what the law says to do. Be patient with one another, kind. In other words, this is how we love one another as ourselves which fulfills the law. So, what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? What does it mean to live a life characterized by the life of the Spirit? Well, in part, it means to be a person who's led by the Spirit. And it means, in part, to be a person who bears the fruit of the Spirit. But did you notice the promise? Can't miss it. Don't miss it. The promise of this way of life, the promise of walking by the Spirit, the promise of living a life characterized by the Spirit. Look again at verse 16 for this promise. Paul says, so I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's Paul's promise to us. That's his promise, his guarantee that if we will walk by the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It's a promise, an ironclad promise. It's a guarantee. And notice in verse 16, there aren't any qualifications to this promise. There are no catches or caveats. He states it matter-of-factly. If you walk by the Spirit, it is a guarantee you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It's an impossibility. It is impossible to be walking by the Spirit as God's people and to be gratifying the desires of the flesh at the same time. It can't be done. It's an impossibility because every time the flesh and the Spirit square off, the Spirit wins when we're walking by the Spirit. And this is good news. This is hope for us. And the reason this is good news is because the flesh hasn't given up the fight. Look at what he says in verse 17. 
He says, for the flesh or for the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit. And the spirit, what is contrary to the flesh? They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. See, Paul's saying, look, it it is crucial for us to understand the promise of walking by the Spirit because you and I are engaged in a ruthless, merciless battle against the flesh. That's why it's so important for us to grasp the promise of verse 16 because the moment that we fail to walk by the Spirit, the flesh takes advantage of us. That's what he's saying. We have a real foe that we face, a real enemy, a real battle that we're engaged in as Christians. And while it's true, and we learned this in our study in Romans, and we talked about it a little bit last week, that this is a defeated foe ultimately. The flesh, the sinful nature is a defeated foe, but this is a foe who has not given up the fight. It's still kicking, it's still fighting us, and if we want to see just what it's capable of, look at verse 19. Paul says the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. In other words, this list could go on. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now when Paul there says those who live like this, he's talking about those whose lives are characterized by these qualities. Their lives are defined by these qualities. This is their way of life. This is how they live life. He's not talking about those of us who, as believers, we recognize, man, some of these qualities are still in my life and we're doing battle against them. He's not talking about those people who recognize, I still have jealousy, I still have enemy, and we're doing battle against it. He's talking about those where there is no battle. This is their way of life. This is how they're characterized and defined. And he says those people, because they're not battling these things by the Spirit, they don't have the Spirit, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul's saying the reason we cannot miss the promise of walking by the Spirit is because we are engaged in a very real battle. And we are up against a very capable foe, one that will derail our lives if we let it. Now in verse 21, I don't think that what Paul is saying there is that a genuine Christian, a born-again Christian, Someone who has the Spirit of God dwelling within them, I don't believe he's saying that that person can actually fail to inherit the kingdom. I don't think that's what he's teaching. I don't think he's saying that a Christian who has the Spirit of God inside of them can be so overcome by the flesh that in the end they fail to inherit the kingdom. And I get that not just from Paul's teaching elsewhere in the New Testament about the Spirit and the promise of the Spirit and the guarantee of the Spirit in our lives. I get that also from verse 24. Look at what he says in verse 24. He says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This is that death blow that he's talking about. 
He's saying that when we placed our faith in Jesus Christ, we dealt a mortal wound to the flesh to the point that it no longer dominates our lives. It no longer has control over our lives. Influence? Yes. Can it still tempt us? Yes. It no longer has control over our lives. Our faith in Jesus dealt it a death blow. And if that's the case, then it means that it no longer determines our eternal destiny. Faith in Christ does. So I don't think he's teaching that a genuine Christian can, in the end, fail to inherit the kingdom. Instead, what I think Paul is trying to get across to us is that as Christians, we face a very real and very capable enemy. And that though it's a defeated enemy, it still wants to take over our lives. And the only way that you and I can subdue this enemy, the only way that we can do battle against this enemy is to walk by the Spirit. That's it. There, there is no other way. That still leaves one major question. How do we do that? How do we actually walk by the Spirit? How do we do it? I mean, very practically, how do we actually walk by the Spirit? What am I supposed to do? What do I do? What does that look like? Walk by the Spirit. What does that mean? How do I do that? We've already talked about what it, what it means, what it, what it might look like to walk by the Spirit. That it means that we're to be people who are led by the Spirit and people who bear the fruit of the Spirit. That's what it means. And we've talked about why it's so important to walk by the Spirit. It's important, it's crucial, because it's the only way that we can engage and do battle against the flesh. So we've talked about what it means, why it's important, but how do we do it? How do we actually do it? Well, throughout the letter to the Galatians, if you read throughout the letter, what you'll find is the Apostle Paul links together two phrases over and over again, and these two phrases for the Apostle Paul come to describe what it means to be a Christian. He almost can't reference one phrase without somewhere close by referencing the other phrase. And those two phrases are by faith and by the Spirit. Look with me at just a few examples of Paul linking these phrases together. And again, what we're trying to do is answer the question, how do we walk by the Spirit? Look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. Verse 6. He says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So, Right here, according to verse 6, what's the result of a life of faith? Love. Well, we just saw in verse 22 that Paul says, love is a fruit of the Spirit. It's produced by the Spirit. So on the one hand, Paul can say that faith produces love. And on the other hand, he can say that the Spirit produces love. By faith, by the Spirit. Look up. One more verse. Look at verse 5. Paul says, But by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. So how does Paul say that you and I ought to await that final verdict from God? He says, by faith, by the Spirit, or through the Spirit. Same word. By faith, by the Spirit. 
Flip over to Galatians chapter 3, verse 23. Galatians chapter 3, verse 23. Paul says, Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So according to verse 23 of chapter 3, how are we as believers released from the law? He says it's by our faith. But according to verse 18 of chapter 5, Paul says the way that we are released from the law is by being led by the Spirit. So on the one hand, we're freed from the law by faith. On the other hand, we're freed from the law by the Spirit. Look at verse 5 of chapter 3. Verse 5 of chapter 3. Paul says, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? Or literally what he says is because of your hearing with faith. So what's Paul say? How are we indwelt by the spirit and sustained by the spirit as Christians? He says it's by faith, by believing what you heard, the gospel. One last reference one last reference. Look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So according to the Apostle Paul, how are we to live the Christian life? By faith. And yet we just saw in Galatians chapter 5, in verse 18 and in verse 25, that the way that we're supposed to live the Christian life is by the Spirit, by living by the Spirit, by walking by the Spirit. So back to our question. How do we walk by the Spirit? How do we live a life characterized by the Spirit? Paul says we do it by faith. We do it by faith, by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. It's by faith. It's by living every moment of every day in continual trust and in continual hope and in continual reliance on the Son of God to save us, to sustain us, and to one day vindicate us before the Father. That's how we walk, by the Spirit by every moment of every day, trusting the Son, relying on the Son who loved us and gave himself for us. It's by faith. It's by the Spirit. Well, one author, reflecting on the truths that we just looked at over the past couple of weeks here in Galatians chapter 5, and especially in light of what we just looked at here, he encourages us to think about what Paul just talked about in this way. He says, picture it this way. Picture your flesh, that old ego with the mentality of merit and, and craving for power and of reputation and of self-reliance. Picture it as a dragon living in some cave of your soul. And then you hear the gospel. And in it, Jesus Christ comes to you and he says, I will make you mine and take possession of the cave and slay the dragon. Will you yield to my possession? It will mean a whole new way of thinking and feeling and acting. And you say to him, but that dragon is me. I will die. 
And he says, and you will rise to newness of life. For I will take its plan, and I will make my mind and my will and my heart your very own. And you say, well, what must I do? He answers, well, trust me and do as I say. As long as you trust me, we cannot lose. Well, overcome by the beauty and the power of Christ, you bow before him and you swear eternal loyalty and trust. And as you rise, he puts a great sword in your hand and he says, follow me. He leads you to the mouth of the cave and he says, go in, slay the dragon. But you look at him bewildered. I I can't do that, not without you. He smiles at you and he says, well said. You learn quickly and never forget that my commands for you to do something are never commands to do them alone. And then you enter the cave together and a horrible battle follows and you feel Christ's hand on yours. At last the dragon lies there limp. And you ask him, is it dead? His answer is this. I have come to give you new life. In this you received when you yielded to my possession and swore faith and loyalty to me. And now, with my sword and my hand, you have felled the dragon of the flesh. It is a mortal wound. It will die, that's a certainty. But it has not yet bled to death. And it may yet revive with violent convulsions and do much harm. So you must treat it as dead, and you must seal the cave as a tomb. The Lord of darkness may cause earthquakes in your soul to shake those stones loose, but you must build them up again. And have this confidence that with my sword and my hand on yours, this dragon's doom is sure. He's finished, and your new life in me is secure. The author concludes with these comments. He says, Christ has taken possession of our souls. The flesh has been dealt a mortal wound and stripped of its power to have dominion over us. The Christian life is a constant reckoning of the flesh as dead and a constant relying on the present spirit of Christ to produce in us love, joy, and peace and all the rest. The difference between the Christian life and popular American morality is that Christians will not take one step unless the hand of Christ holds the hand that wields the sword of righteousness. Which can only happen by faith in the Son of God. And so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Let's pray. Father, there is so much here in this passage So much for us to learn and to spend a lifetime learning. By your Spirit residing in us, would you cause us to walk by the Spirit, by faith in the Son of God, loved us and gave himself for us. Pray these things for our good, the good of our church, for the good of the the watching world, and for the sake of Christ himself, we pray. And it's in his name that we ask these things. Amen.